Welcome to the Cheryl Shields Show, where we help teachers live healthier and happier lives. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of the Cheryl Shields Show. I'm, of course, I'm Cheryl Shields. Um, I'm so excited today to welcome our guest, Christina Schultz. She is a senior performance consultant, a writer, and a facilitator for the Heil Group in Normal, Illinois. We first met during new teacher orientation way back in 1999. A couple of years later, she left teaching for several reasons that she will tell us about in a few minutes, and she continues to teach in her current career in many ways. Today, we'll talk about the guilt she felt after leaving the classroom, and since we're taping this on Halloween, we'll title the interview, Ghosts of Professional Mistakes of the Past, which was Christina's idea. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Cheryl. So good to talk again and to be in professional contact. I'm thrilled. Yeah, me too. Um, let's be, let's begin with your decision to leave teaching. Can you walk me through some of the reasons you left the classroom? Sure. And I just want to say, I, um, want to just thank you so much for writing a book like the one you wrote, um, about how to survive and being happy in the classroom. I think there just can't be enough resources for any level of teacher, uh, especially new ones. So thank you so much for putting that out there. Um, it's, but the, the, the ghosts of professional mistakes passed. Um, maybe I needed more books like this. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So I was a, and, and for your listeners, um, maybe there'll be some things that are uh, common ground between us uh, and our stories and, and the ones that your listeners have and tell each other and tell you. Um, I was a suburbanite who went to a large teaching university here in um, Illinois State University, actually in Normal, Illinois, where I pursued an education major in the field of English secondary education, um, and I loved it. I loved everything about it, and what I soon came to love was interdisciplinarity, when all of a sudden, the all the humanities started to dovetail for me from um, literature and, um, you know, some of those the writing and some of those kind of rhetorical um, skill sets to political science and history um, and foreign language and science and just everything. And I, I loved everything about it. So big nerdy McNerd learner. <laughs> right. Like I was, just, was thinking I was going to do that since I was five years old. Um, and as I was at a very large public uh, university for teaching, um, very early on, you would hear things like English majors are a dime a dozen. You're, you're going to be one of many, many applicants. And so I knew from very early on in my program that, um, it wouldn't be easy necessarily to land a job. And some of the things I, I was naive about was, um, some of the ways in which, um, you would need to find a, a the right professional home. So as I got near and near to graduation, which I was very excited about, got through my student teaching, um, I knew that as a suburbanite, it, it just made a kind of sense for me to go back up to the suburbs, and I was looking forward to that. But I didn't want to go home. And I didn't really put two and two together. And Cheryl, maybe you noticed this too with people um, in your world. Um, it never occurred to me that how many teachers actually go back to their home district yeah. near their home district. Yeah. Like that, you know, for me, I was like, the world's my oyster. Why would I go back home? That's the last thing I want. <laughs> Why would I go back home? 
but I want to do that. I've been there. I live there. I'm excited about everywhere else I might live. So, like, I kind of like, I, very. That's a very sensible thing, I think, for most people. And maybe like it's preferred for a reason because I think it's effective. But that wasn't my. That was not something I really even wanted. So I didn't entertain that very at all. Actually, I didn't entertain it at all. Mm-hmm. And so I started to look for other opportunities for applications. So I did, I became that, like just from out of the gate, I was that time a dozen in some ways. Now in other ways, um, I was proud of what I accomplished as a student and I was confident given the opportunity, I would, I would, I would earn a place. Um, and I was uh, very, very happy when I did at um, a South Suburban Chicagoland high school where you and I met and you were yeah. the teachers there. And I was exactly, again, 100% thrilled for that opportunity. And I, I thought it was cool that it was going to be a new school, a new place, a new town, like a new chapter. Like, I guess I had a thing for the new. Yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, I felt very grown up, right? And so um, I, and I am, like I said, um, it's always been a lifelong thing for me to, to be a teacher and to resonate with helping, helping and learning and falling into stories and hiding in there for a while. And I just thought it was great. So, um, and I enjoyed where we worked. I thought our team was supportive. So again, I made a good matchup in terms of new hire, new teacher support. We had a mentoring system. We had a team. I uh, loved our team interdisciplinary program that we had. We oh, had it was awesome. Like, it was like the triple seven jackpot of a teaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. So again, the reasons why I left did not have anything to do with anything external. It wasn't the program. It wasn't the support I did or didn't get. And I think you do a nice job in your book kind of reminding people things to kind of, um, like when you mentioned permission to follow your passion, we had permission. I mean, boy, did we have a lot. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of things going in our, uh, totally in our favor. So, but the things I didn't know about was um, knowing about stress, knowing how to name stress, mm-hmm. um, knowing about burnout, how you would know about burnout, how you could come up out ahead of burnout. So again, I'm doing a great job promoting your book, which is yeah, awesome. you are. Um, Thanks. These are all. She did not pay me to do this, ones, but um. Uh, so anyway, I, there were just things that started to happen in my um, experience. So I started to just see a very quickly a downturn in the quality of my life for. The intensity with which I loved the opportunity and I wanted to be helpful to my students and I wanted it to make sense um, between the kinds of lessons I was structuring for them and Mm -hmm. the kind of like terminal objectives they were enjoying. So it wasn't like for me, it's never been about, and I don't think it's about for any teacher, like the grades you'd end up distributing, right? So it's not about, I was excited about recording homework and recording grades. I just wanted them to learn. I wanted them to see it. I wanted it. I wanted it for themselves. Um, so all of all of that, when I started to struggle with every single thing a new hire struggles with, right? Mm-hmm. Balancing the load, balancing time management. I always graded on the exact same weekend all five sections of it. It never occurred to me to stagger due dates. <laughs> like what? Yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. It didn't occur to me. You know, I wanted to keep on. Um, thematic and unit time frames. I tried not to have too much differentiation among my five sections. Um, I really believed the longer I worked at it and the harder I worked at it, like uh, that more was more, right? So the more hours I spent necessarily meant more, more, more success for the students. Right. Um, so I gave and I gave and I gave and I gave and I didn't realize how 
with the appropriate volatility of high school age students, particularly ninth grade, like they were just being themselves and I struggled with it. I, I was hard not to take adolescent pushback personally. Like kids were like, I'm not doing that. I had never heard of oppositional defiance. I hadn't heard it. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I'm not sure my program really covered all the things that maybe now programs cover. So our, our uh, teacher training uh, and training mode get access to in terms of like, what if, what then? What if you have something like this, what then would you do? Yeah. I didn't have a lot of that. Um, my program had a lot of content milestones. Like, did you take this class? Did you learn this skill set? Did you did you actually do student teaching? But it, I would say it didn't break it down a lot. And hopefully that's changed. And no, from, have yeah. We didn't have Google. We can just look this stuff up. Back yeah, back. yeah. Yeah, from the student teachers that I've come in contact with, there's not a lot of classroom management. I'm so on, I cannot believe. It's like Which is insane. Not hear yeah. That 50% yeah. of teachers are leaving the profession. Like, right. are we not paying attention? Like, exactly. Exactly. So, so and as, as you might remember, in our school district, literacy was a challenge. Cheryl, I have one literacy class my entire years. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. Zero. So like, why? Like, right. All of a sudden, it was like, how, how, how dare I? Mm-hmm. I'm a fairly um, responsible person, so all of a sudden, I had kind of an ethical dilemma. Like, I'm masquerading as someone who's supposed to be this kid's <laughs> right support for things that I don't even. I was never trained on, and and thankfully, our district had a content area reading teacher. Like, I learned yeah. a lot about content literacy. Um, and that was one of my favorite undergrad classes that was only one semester long. Like, I didn't know that been So um, it just started, it all sort of kind of crashed down around me between just, you know, we mentioned guilt. We, that was the spoiler alert. This is going to be a highly guilt-ridden mm-hmm. conversation. I just started feeling so guilty. Like, who was I to earn A's in classes that ended up being nothing for my students? Like, my report card in college didn't actually help my kids, to, as far as I could tell. That wasn't helping them. And so... What was I going to do to help them? Um, how was I going to leverage the strong? I'm a, I'm a fundamental optimist. And again, I think most teachers are. I've oh, yeah. my kids so much. And I, and I was never willing to like you do strategies that I thought were either mind-numbing or punitive. Like I had some advice from a people, a person, I won't say people. I had, I had advice from a person I respect a lot. She was one of our administrators who knew I was struggling just with classroom management. And she really recommended that I just structure the crap out of my interactions with the kids to teach them nothing fun can happen until they mind me. And I tried really hard. I just couldn't get on board with, I hadn't had kids yet and I'm not, I wasn't a parent then. So it just yeah. seemed like, I didn't come to subdue them. I came to engage them, you know, I, right. I don't I want to do that. And I just want to get through a period with them not yelling at me, me not yelling at them, maybe no one crying, including me. Like, yeah. So it was hard to apply the advice I got, even though it was, I know it was well-intended. And I think in, in some cases it might've been rightfully placed. It just fit with the philosophy that I had really cultivated and the optimism I felt to feel optimistic while also feeling like a failure. was kind of a weird, a weird blend. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was a swing. It was a pendulum swing, right? Mm-hmm. Any high that I could take, I would take. And any low I experienced was low. So it was just a swing and a swing and a swing. And I have to say that, um, we and our teams that we had, Cheryl, we worked so hard, whether we were on duty or off duty, our weekends, we were working, our summers, we were working. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. I mean, and as all teachers listening to this know, 
it's, it's not like you really, you, I think that for the teachers who are successful, they create those boundaries to get, make those breaks work for them. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't ready for it. And I also was ill-equipped to know how to use those breaks. So that once that summer between my first and second year teaching, I was so aware of all the mistakes I had made and all my feelings and shortcomings that I just tried to double down on, you know, get better, faster, stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. So I would just say that, um, I just had, I just could tell very early on that I was having a a quality of life, a free fall that I hadn't anticipated and hadn't really, I had heard about the statistic about people leaving teaching, but never, of course, you don't think you're going to be Right. Right. It's Um, always somebody else. It's always going to be somebody else, you know, like, and at that time, not to say I'm a judgmental or a jerky person, but I was like, oh, well, maybe some people just aren't meant to be teachers. Right. It just felt like, well, maybe Mm -hmm. they just weren't supposed to. Yeah. But I clearly had destiny on my side or something. Right. And so I did used to do drama. So there's a touch of that in there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So then as I started to get into my second year teaching, I just started looking around like, wait a minute, like, if I'm at the photocopier by 6.15 in the morning, and I'm, I'm like, literally on first-name basis with our wonderful custodial staff mm-hmm. there until 10 o'clock at night, and I'm literally not getting to the kids' theater or their sporting events. Like, I don't I don't know my kids outside of the class because I'm literally always working on these classes, so I'm not really visible in the school community. I'm literally in this building so much that I'm not actually in the community. Um, right. Oh, by the way, my community had a lot of, um, you know, Six lane divided highways. Like, where was I really gonna go? Mm-hmm. I go to Orleans Square Mall only so much because on a teacher's salary, you can only buy so many shoes. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> it was just also like, what is this? Is this really? And of course, being in my twenties, it was like, I can't do this for forty more years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like what? So I never. I just. I just couldn't tell. And again, I had. And this is with mentorship and with totally qualified wonderful colleagues like you and all our friends yeah the high school together i mean it was a shock to me uh if i haven't underscored how how surprised and unexpected the level of stress i was feeling and isolation about and feeling like a failure and like and like what did a doofus was i to like look a gift horse in the mouth like it was a a wonderful if i couldn't succeed having that set up i felt like the heck was sex looking for like i knew a magic school was not going to show up. I mean, it wasn't like I was, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was right. having a hard time. I was having a hard time. And then I started to notice that that kind of, um, that kind of intrepidness, which is a, a strength, is also a weakness. Because when I galloped towards job anywhere in the state of Illinois, then I, I didn't think about, well, where is my source of comfort? Mm-hmm. I need to just run away. And I don't, what if I don't want more advice from people I work with? What if I just want like, what if I want to run home to mommy? Like, mommy's yeah. there. Like, what do I you know, like, what am I thinking? Like, what if I do need to blow off steam, but I'm not in a neighborhood where I can run around the block. I can't, um, at that time I was new enough to Cook County that I didn't know, like the forest preserves that's okay to go by yourself and hang out and ones that you shouldn't like. Yeah. I hadn't really lived, I hadn't really lived in a really big, um, metropolitan area in a while when I grew up in the suburb I lived in was kind of a boondock kind of suburb mm-hmm. the, um, suburban sprawl just caught up with us so I hadn't really learned how to be in my particular environment and being in college was just a different really different kind of environment oh yeah right um, I just started to notice that I was I was just isolated and I I just didn't have 
I didn't know how to make boundaries. Mm-hmm. I was always on 24 hours a day. I didn't mm-hmm. have uh, venting off. Like, where could I, where would that, ste- where would that steam go? Where would that stress go? Right. Um, and I started to just wonder, like, I think I was just naive. Like, I really felt like, hey, the kids are going to see how hard I try, how much I Yeah, care. and yeah, and you, and that being a, right. <laughs> right, and that being able to realize. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and not being able to realize that they don't really care about that. They just know that they have to sit in your classroom in that seat. And if they don't like being there, then they're going to do whatever they want to do in order to either make your life a living hell or to just have fun with their friends. So, I mean, it's so <laughs> it's so difficult, which so many people have no idea about how difficult teaching really is. People don't know. And the other thing that you can, I can I, I, it's painful to talk about, but it's important to acknowledge is I think um, um, I will just say for myself, and I feel like this is true for other people. I loved school. Part of the reason why I wanted yes. teachers, yes. I it. Yes, I, and most teachers do. Yeah, you know, yeah. Until I was a teacher, I was in the minority. Maybe right. maybe the majority of kids don't like school. Mm-hmm. Maybe the majority mm-hmm. of kids don't like English. Like yeah. Oh, this happened. Like you mean this doesn't taste yummy? This is the yummiest yummy thing that there yeah. is. Like, <laughs> exactly. So, I was like, I mean, Yeah, yeah, and then you know the fact that you had freshmen; they were brand new to high school, and so it's it's just it's just a lot of different factors. But it's it's really interesting that you bring up not just the work life balance, which there was none, you know, for you in that case, but the whole community and not knowing how to build one and to um, do certain things that you can that people would do in their regular off time to help relieve some of the stressors at work and a lot it's of people so have no clue how to do that especially brand new teachers well and you know what you realize and I'm noticing it now that I'm I'm, I'm older and I've done this, this other life for a while mm-hmm. so I'm helping newcomers I'm helping new college graduates enter the workforce in the in, the, in a different capacity when you don't have any professional skills like you're you're building everything from scratch yeah like Unless, unless there was more conscientious apprenticeship kind of attitude or mentality, which student teaching should be, but I feel like it's not. Stomach reasons, it's not. It's I, not. I big, like I could, I mean, oh my gosh, boy, could I throw a a, a rant about? Maybe you can bring me back so we can just do a rant episode. Yes, like, yes, I will. Yes, yeah. But um, what I was so surprised is that, and now in hindsight. I didn't have a professional toolbox. I didn't have professionalism because I just came out of college. And when you think about jobs, I was in a very industrious, hardworking, responsible, challenge seeker. I was, but come on, the part-time jobs you have when you're in high school, the part-time jobs you have when you're, you're, you are, it's not the same as a full professional load and then the whole in local parentis when you take that so seriously i'm the adult for that mm-hmm. i am the adult and to take that while having kind of just barely entered adulthood was a big that's a big take but when it's a different kind of um you have so many different kinds of skill sets to be building simultaneously yeah in my hindsight it would make complete sense. I couldn't build them all at the same time. And if I've had, if I had a, a, a 18 to 20 year head start on the intellectual stuff, then it would make sense that my gaps would be more on the affective domain without me even realizing it. Because again, as an English major, 
Can you write out your ideas? Yes. Can you journal your ideas? Yes. Can you verbalize and express your thoughts and emotions? Yes. It could pass all kinds of effective domain tests and still fail. Yeah. And that blew my mind. Yeah. Like the master in regular life as a pretty competent person and be so incompetent as a teacher and make, and it's, and then you can hear the guilt I had. I was like, not only was I making myself a mess, I was not always the best emotionally intelligent person, adult in the classroom. I didn't necessarily always help my kids. Like I could, I was a barrier to some kids learning and I, Oh, Cheryl, it's terrible to say that out loud. No, I, but but I, this I was a barrier. I was a barrier. And yeah. I, and I, I thank you. Yeah, I, I thank you for being courageous enough to do that. And what I found out, you know, I've been a life coach for 12 years. And what I found out in that time trying to do professional development in schools is that schools really seem to have no place for the effective domain. No, no place. And I'm like, okay, so have you ever heard the saying, if mom's not happy, no one's happy? So if the teacher's not happy and the teacher's having problems and they can't figure out stuff, of course there's going to be ineffective learning in the classroom, you know? And, and we do take it so personally. And you look at the world around us. If, if, if we in the humanities didn't get to effectively tap into the effective domain, is it any wonder that this is a skill set we see yeah. society gen- generally struggling with? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you and I were teaching, that was the very beginning of media literacy. And I mm-hmm. love that. I, and you might remember that this, during the Super Bowl unit, we would videotape commercials and we just talk about Oh, yeah. We sell things to you. It was like the beginning of media literacy, right? And so I would just think, I, I have like a daydream about returning, you know, victoriously returned to the classroom and being able to put right what once went wrong and in the in the process, really hitting hard on the things that are really pragmatic skills for the 21st century, media literacy being one, effective domain. I mean, just how are kids even navigating social media? Like if I felt like an ass by myself mm-hmm. in my apartment with no Twitter and no social media, right. I had to like... I mean, I can't even imagine. It's like, a whole... I, I felt bad enough without yeah. an audience. Yeah, and it's a whole new world. You know, I just remember having seniors and talking to them one day and telling them how important it was for them to have a professional um, appearance on social media. And they were like, no, it just doesn't matter. I was like, yes. I was like, okay, who would like to tell me their Twitter name? This girl told me her Twitter name. I typed it in the computer and it came up. Um, let's say her name was Michelle. It came up, Michelle is a thief, in all capital letters, on Twitter, underneath her name. And I said, darling, you're never going to get in college. You're never going to get a job. <laughs> that was just my mom's friend. She was, she was playing around. I was like, no, you stole something from her. And she put it on social media. And that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's and it's it's so hard because um, I've talked about this. Now. I am a mother. I have a daughter who's eleven, and I've had this conversation with her. Like one of the main ways you can get that stress association with social media is when you're isolated in your own room with the door shut, and there is nobody yeah. knowing. Like there wasn't anyone watching you when you picked that terrible handle. Right, like, right. right. There wasn't anyone to say like, "You tap on the shoulder." Hey, let's think about that. Right, right, right. Long term. Right, right, and so. Um, so I would just say that, um, yeah, that, that finding ways to have people make a lot. And I would say the, the parallel between what we were just talking about in my teachers, I was having to figure out too much through guesswork mm-hmm. and through isolation, right? I'm, I, you know, and, and 
that, and I understand that life is about hit or miss experiences. I wasn't expecting it to be easy and I wasn't expecting it to be, um, I mean, it would have been nice, but I would have loved to have like, you know, prim and proper faces with good posture and oh, yeah. attention. And oh my gosh. On my every word every teacher's dream. <laughs> Yes. Um, right, right. Like, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, it would have been nice, that was a fantasy, but I was clear that was a fantasy. That was never my actual expectation. So, um, so I, I thought, I, I really thought I was going in with some realistic expectations. Like, of course, it was going to be a hard, it was going to be a challenge, I was going to have to earn it. And I really expected humility cumulatively learn how to be better year after year. Mm-hmm. I think what really was hard in that second year. I started my second year of teaching with no idea I was planning on not having a third. I just thought, again, I was in the forever mode. Mm-hmm. Somewhere midway through the year, I was like, what if I didn't have to look like this every day? Wow. What if? Yeah. All of a sudden, like, what if, what if I had somewhere I could walk around the block? What if I had plans at 5 p.m. where I just couldn't be in my school building? <laughs> like, what if there was, like, something else I should go and do? Um, what if... What if? And yeah. so eventually over a period of about five, four or five months, I, um, I just decided that the, the beckoning of the what ifs uh, was um, more enticing than the, the pile of um, guilt and um, ungrateful assignments. Awesome. Being behind my curricular goals for mm-hmm. months I was supposed to be. And I was like, you know, the, the what ifs seem a little bit more alluring to me. And yeah. again, um, I just never, I didn't see enough strength and resilience building between year and one and year two. I had no reason at that time to think year three would be any different. I really didn't. Okay. I really, and I got scared. I was scared. I was like, okay. well, how can I live like this? What if I want to get married? What if I want to have kids? What if I, like, what if this is it? If mm-hmm. this is going to be, mm-hmm. and it's crying every day, wow. that, that, that can't be it. You know, like that guy, I don't want this. Yeah. So how did you transition to the Hyrule group? So around the time when I was doing that, what if thinking, um, I decided a, a big, a big decision point that I made was I looked around the suburbs of Chicago. Like I said, I was from a suburb that had been kind of a, an, um, a standalone town and I was watching suburbia kind of come and meet it. And I just decided, I don't think this is where I get my most quality of life. Like I don't have a lot of like ability. I don't have a lot of walkability. Um, affordability was terrible and the part of Cook County I was living in my one bedroom apartment jumped from a $750 $750 rent to like closer to 800 just in one year and wow. I was like I was stretching me even on my one when it was just me on my one income and I just felt like I'm not gonna make it here you know um, insurance our insurance was expensive and I just thought okay well I think I need a relocation like I think I need I need to figure out where I want to be and so as I um, happened to be um, in a relationship, now I'm married, I started to look at where my partner was at, and he was in a place where I was like, look at all of this, look at the bike trails, look at the mm-hmm. size of the community, look at all the things you can do outside of your work hours like, um, that would be accessible. And all of a sudden I thought, I think I want to relocate. So once I started to have, and not just notice this listeners, like notice how finally I was thinking about like, What's the life I want to have? <laughs> like, where do I want to have my life? Then I started putting resumes out, putting out feelers. And I have to tell you, Cheryl, that in my interviews at some local school districts, they kind of didn't go very well, partly because I had done so much cool stuff like interdisciplinary block teaching and nobody oh, yeah. was doing that. I just didn't sound like a good thing. I sounded like from Spanish. I didn't 
it. And I had no idea, again, me believing that I qualified. Why wouldn't you hire me? It was such a shock. It was a shock to find out that I wasn't, I wasn't maybe going to get hired. Um, wow. It was a shock. Like, I really just thought... Um, then knowing how little my network was, I had no one to advocate for me here on the local level. I was mm-hmm. a random person. And I think anyone who's ever felt like uh, anonymous when you want to actually stand out, it's kind of a, it's, it's not like I had a raging ego, but it was kind of a, okay, that's kind of hopeless, very humbling to find yeah. out you don't actually rise to the top in any shape, way, or form. So I started to have, an, um, I started having some thoughts about like, well, then what would the job be that would help me make this relocation? I do think this relocation is needed now like now it's kind of like I gotta I gotta figure out how to get my uh um uh like parachute Mm -hmm. out of a system that wasn't healthy for me and so I happened to have in my small the small network I did have was with a former professor whose wife had started her own company in corporate training although she, she wasn't really calling it that um her name was Julie Heil, and I asked to set up um, like a coffee meeting so she could advise me on how to write a resume in case I had to start putting my resume out in non-education okay. um, organizations. And so I don't know if teachers are aware, but the way we write resumes is different way of objective statements and, you know, that you would write. Yeah. So um, she did, and we started talking. She started telling me about the kind of organizational learning her company did. So I would have a kind of point of reference of what was out there. Um, and over the period of a couple of conversations, she ended up having an opening in her company, and she asked if I'd like to be considered for a position. And um, I was still teaching, and it was really like the, one of the biggest um, forks in the road decisions I'd ever made. And, and I think anyone who's ever made one, it was a big, a big wrestling with my conscience. And again, I talk a lot about the guilt I felt and, um, that was it. Right. Abandoned this in my head for 20 years. Um, so I thought I'm going to give this a try. Perfect. Um, and that was in 2001. And now I've actually been in that position um, for 16 years. Okay. And how is your current job a lot like teaching? Well, it's awesome. So what we get to do in the work I do now is a, um, you mentioned um, your the coaching work you've done, Cheryl, and um, we mentioned affective domain. So I get to basically be a resource for organizations that are working to improve their culture. Um, primarily it's safety culture, but, and whether they know it or don't know it, it's learning culture. Oh yeah. Because as you continue, any form of continuous improvement is necessarily a learning process, right? Change, accepting change is something's learning, right? You're, you're budging something, old yeah. habits, new habits, changing your mind, unlearning old stuff, learning new stuff, um, broadening your mind, whatever. So all of a sudden, I started to get to do one of the very first projects I got to do was go into a highly charged organization where stakes were really high, politics were really intense. It was a labor and management joint project on the revision of safety rules uh, for an entire organization divided into different departments, mm-hmm. the transportation industry. And all of a sudden, Active voice mattered because you had to be really clear in a safety rule because wow. you need to only do one 
one activity at a time in a rule. You can't have it cluttered. Otherwise, it's um, you not only are you sort of immobilized into knowing what the action is to take, if you were going to be in trouble for breaking the rule, it needs not to be muddy. It needs not to be like you could get in trouble for any number of things. One rule needs to have one action associated with it. So also like active voice, I can do active voice. Right. right, and right. It was people who have different agendas um, in their experience of work, um, labor having one way of seeing work and how to protect themselves from um unfairness and, and managers who perceive how to how to um, get to fairness um, and, uh, through other uh, strategies and, and values. And all of a sudden you had to make peace in the kingdom, like collaboration. Wow. So writing, writing as a writing team. Oh my gosh, I can do this. And so all of a sudden there I was, I was using everything I learned to be. Yeah. Education. I was a teacher. I was, I was not there to tell them about their transportation industry and I was not there to tell them about their company, but I could help them at the end of the day say, you wrote this, you wrote this, you wrote this together. You wrote this with a guy six hours ago. You thought you hated it. You did that. Wow. It was really awesome. And it's continued to be awesome. It's just been from things like that to, um, I've had off and on opportunities to take people who are just subject matter experts in their field and help them become sort of um, awake to learning strategies, mm-hmm. teaching strategies, mm-hmm. they can become mentors, or they can become instructors, or they can they can help with culture change projects. They can be leaders on teams, so that instead of me leading their team, I'm just kind of like on the sidelines helping them lead their team. Wow. And it's through collaboration and and um, it's really cool. So power of the pen, authority of um, through writing, um, stakeholder analysis. Um, advancing professional skill sets. It's been all that, all that stuff. Um, And then because I'm not tied to a school day in the way that, you know, you can't really like, you can't really leave Mm -hmm. this freedom of movement. Um, And so to be able to go all over the country and um, also I get to do things in the community. So one thing that I know from a lot of my uh, teachers in my life and my husband is one, um, he just sees his profession as community service. So he doesn't often get a lot of opportunities to also do other things in the community yeah. because like, where's, where's the time? And then in the summers we have kids, you know, and I guess it's, it's anyway, so that might resonate with a lot of people. Well, I, because I'm out of teaching, I feel like the community service piece needs to still be attended to because I am essentially helping the private sector. Right. And they're at, at, at their, at their beckoning. Right. Wow. So um, I got to do all kinds of really cool community service things. So I've, I've helped volunteer in different capacities for a, a multicultural leadership program in our area. That's just this phenomenal professional development opportunity that, that people just take because they want to get better at. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I've done some work um, locally in um, town of normal with uh, just regular people who've been um, sort of identified and and selected by the mayor to work on a town normal vision process so i got to do that wow so just like just really cool stuff that i feel like teachers um especially if you're into problem-based learning reality-based multiple intelligences are still a thing and of course back to that original love i had of interdisciplinarity i get all all the work shows relevance um ill-structured problems choice you know, activated choice at all levels. People get to choose how far they take stuff. Um, 
inquiry. I mean, I, I just can't, I just can't even tell you. It just seems so like, I think this is what we're all trying to achieve. You know? Yeah. You know, when I yeah. Think about my friend, in classes and in schools, it's like, wow, um, helping someone, when we talk about self-actualization, I'm like, I get to see that. I get to see that in the workplace. I get yeah. to see when it works. I get to see when it gets all kinked up, when it doesn't work. I I mean, I've seen all kinds of stuff, and I'm not, and it's not, and it's, 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 it's definitely work. I mean, it's, it's a job, and it's hard work, and it's intense, and um, it turns out for someone like me, um, I will still be places at 6 a.m. at 10 o'clock at night. So that, that worker bee, <laughs> that yeah, not yeah. as a teacher, as with me. So well, it I seems say, like you have found your perfect classroom. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and I, 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 I have, so that, there also is kind of some of that source of guilt. Um, and I continue to stay where I'm at, and I do feel a little bit guilty. Like, whatever happened to that, um, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. And so I, I still do have reckoning on a, a pretty regular basis. Like, am I, am I supposed to go back? You know, yeah. so that's for another time and maybe another therapist, but I yeah. definitely feel like once you leave teaching, you do feel bad. I feel bad. I do. I do still feel a little bad that I, I couldn't get it to work. Yeah. But like, like I said earlier, it seems as if the best thing is that you get to teach adults in a different way um, on how to write, how to manage, how to do different things that they wouldn't have access to if you didn't have that experience of being a classroom teacher at first. Oh, completely agree. And I mean, what a perfect setup between my undergrad and the opportunities I took to see learning as such a blended kind of universal whole. I mean, I think, I just think that again, that, that what felt very intuitive to me as an undergrad has totally served me well. My selection of the school I ended up really served me well. So yeah. I would say as many mistakes I made I really did set up the building blocks fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I am feeding off those early experiences all of the time. I mean, I really, I, I get to tease my railroaders and my dredgers and my construction workers. Like, mm -hmm. There really isn't anything you can pull out of me that I haven't already seen from the 14th. Oh, exactly. Right? So good, you know, good exactly. Luck. Yeah, good luck. Good luck, good luck with that. Right, right. Um, what advice would you have? Um, for someone who's thinking about leaving but feel as if they're letting everyone down, kind of like you did, um, yeah. especially their students. I would, first I would help anyone get out of that um, um, binary kind of fixed mindset that I had. Where I really felt like if I feel stressful like this and it lasted this many months, then, then that must mean it's always gonna be like this. I think that um, fixed thinking and thinking anything's permanent I, I think just number one wherever you can lessen that just really take it day by day and just um um you're not gonna it's not gonna feel any better by taking on all of infinity at one time so don't do that so yeah i definitely think i was i kept thinking about it as a 40 year block and so i kind of pushed myself into fight or flight mode without realizing it so if there's any if you can catch yourself in kind of fixed or binary thinking it's always like this. It's never like that. I would mm -hmm. just say snap out of it. And if you don't know how, tell someone I can tell I'm in this mindset. Can you help me snap out of it? And so um, I would definitely kind of be on the lookout for that and then just be easier on yourself. Like just take it day by day. Just take it day by day. The second thing I would say is <clears throat> if you are a young and, and, and passionate teacher and you keep having a, a, um, a self-induced pressure to keep upping the ante on in innovativeness or creativity or tech integration and you just keep thinking you have to do more and better stellar things I would say 
why don't you show, shoot for something stellar once a week or once every two weeks or shoot, I mean, just lower the bar in yeah. terms of not the quality of your interaction with students, but don't let the window dressing be what you focus on. Think about quality interactions with your students. Did you laugh with your students today? Did you remember something that they told you before that you followed up? Mm-hmm. Hey, how did that some of these tests go? I was thinking about you the other day. Or, hey, I watched that movie you mentioned. Or, I think that commercial you like is just so dumb. Like, oh, like, yeah. You know, just something like build, focus on the relationships mm-hmm. before, and just enjoying their company. Just, yeah. Just let, take long, take more time to enjoy being around them. And, and just even chunk that as something separate than wowing them with your ability to structure a really good lesson plan. Now, that's almost impossible advice to take. But I think if you can just give yourself a break, like, hey, for the month of October, I'm going to put my relationships with the kids first. And I'm going to, of course, not miss anything I have to do. Attendance, check. You know, following the rules, check. Um, assessing them on the units. Yep, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to really focus now on... Um, uh, the relationship piece and just see what difference that can make because I think if you can just ease up on being pressured in 15 different ways mm-hmm. I think you might enjoy, once you start to really find things you enjoy again that fight or flight will sort of take care of itself I just I just got myself out of enjoying any of it you know I just yeah. didn't enjoy it everything felt like pressure everything felt like a pass fail test mostly on the emphasis with fail mm-hmm. and I don't even see that my close friends like you I don't even think you guys knew I don't even yeah no no I had no clue I don't yeah, I think I was just so ashamed. Yeah, 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 and that's that's the biggest thing, is that you know, and I know probably around year ten, twelve mm-hmm. or something, I went through a horrible spiral of burnout and had no mm-hmm. idea what it was until I started writing the book about three years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, right? Yeah, but and it's it's, like, it's oh, silent. Oh, it's a silent yeah, epidemic. Yeah. I do hope that people can appreciate this is like the vitamin you should take. You know? Yeah. If you believe in taking a lot of vitamin C in the cold flu season, like this is what this book can, can be like. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's true. So I would say that would be a second piece of advice. And the last piece of advice that I would would um, offer um, is I think I think it's okay to explore what if. And just, and just as a mental vacation, mm-hmm. what if? Because mm-hmm. I think that even if you end up not leaving, you could at least reframe and reposition um, what it is you're trying to accomplish as a teacher. So for me, like, like and this is partly why I'm so interested in going back at some point, um, is, oh, now I know. Like, I have seen adults in the workplace. I know... I was always kind of wondering what would happen. Like, what happens when I teach people a semicolon? Like, what ultimately, where does that go? And we got to work, you and I, in problem-based learning. So mm-hmm. it's from, like, um, I have like, experimental ways of seeing what would happen to the semicolon, but I didn't really know what would happen 10 years from now, right? Yeah. I've been, for 16 years, collecting experiences of adults who presumably passed their ninth grade English class, um, you know, what they're like. Yeah. How they're like, their life is okay. They, they turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So I got to see the other side of what happens and how um, all the time leading up to the present moment was kind of a, pre- a preparation for those things. Yeah. And, and so now I kind of like, oh, okay. I, I didn't have a good way of, of, of uh, I didn't really have an anchor point of what I was trying to accomplish. I just knew I love school. I love literature. And I kind of just took everything kind of at a more content level. And I don't think that's 
the way to do it. I think when you're in education, you got to think about the whole person or oh, yeah. the movement or yeah. progression. And I yeah. don't think they teach that. When, they, when you have a semester-by-semester semester experience of gathering knowledge, I don't think there's very many opportunities for the big picture. And I don't mean this as any critique. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people who still prove me wrong. So I'm not even, I'm not even daring someone that I'm entirely right. I just don't know that all we expect out of our college instructors to have maybe a, a big picture experience that they themselves don't have. Yeah. Like, it really wasn't until I met the woman who is now my boss and friend, Julie, that I had access to knowing what it was like, where, where do learners go when they're done in school? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. My, teacher, my parents were teachers. Like, I didn't have any non-teacher. I mean, right. all my friends in college were teachers, mm-hmm. education teachers. Like, I didn't know. Um, I always kind of felt sorry for people who pick something business because it sounded like like a boring major. You're like, oh, I'm sorry for you. That's right, right, <laughs> so, right. Like, I didn't have like a really good headset of what what the world had in it, and so if I knew if I go back into teaching, and I'll be able to say, now I can I can imagine the kind of person you will be and how you might contribute to wherever you decide to go as your professional home. Like, I, I just couldn't I just couldn't see it, and now yeah. and now that I know, I feel like boy, could I pick. I mean, and also I'm a parent, so I think that helps. Boy, can I tell the difference between a mountain and a molehill? What is the battle worth fighting with kids? What's the battle not worth fighting? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Where do they sit? Maybe my signature doesn't, maybe that doesn't matter. Yeah. Does it matter if they bring yeah. their cell phone anymore? Maybe, I mean, that's not a battle. Yeah. Do I need them to pay attention to how to articulate their thoughts? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's the places where I, I, can, I can be more flexible without feeling like I have to Wow. Well, I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm so grateful to you, Christina, for you opening your heart and saying some things that some people are thinking and experiencing but would never say out loud. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. And and I think it kind of just kept with our whole Halloween theme, too, in that teaching is really scary and opening yourself and being true to who you are and saying some things that you've been afraid to say for forever, you know, is really scary and it can be, but you know, it doesn't have to be. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. That's one of the reasons, you know, I'm going to do some classes and, you know, do some other things to help teachers to understand it. And, and other people, I mean, some, some of the people that are coming to me now are not teachers, but they hate their jobs. And I'm like, okay, jump on the bandwagon. Let's go. <laughs> let's let's oh help you God. find, some, find some work that's, that's really um, soul satisfying. And it seems as if that's kind of where you are and what you've done. Yeah. And I would just say that whole kind of transformation from within is the, the one other thing is teachers, you may not be able to fix the whole system, and that can be depressing. You can't fix families. Yeah. You can't fix the system of education. Maybe you can't fix everything in your building. So, like, if you have permission, granted from a haunted person, yeah, <laughs> you have permission to just make it the best it can be for you. And then as your circle of influence starts to radiate out, you might surprise yourself at how you, you, you have opportunities to help influence the system. And don't worry about the impossibility of overnight transformation in a system you care and have devoted a big chunk of your life to. Like that is set that aside and just work on that individual transformation piece. Fall back in love with it, build those relationships, get get excited again, and the opportunities will come for little elements of influence. And and even the, I think what I've been so astounded by is that those little things of influence can still have really big impact. And yeah. it's okay. It's okay to think a little bit smaller and not so big picture life and death type type stuff. Yeah, and that it's it's just really all a journey. Um, Thank you so much, Christina, for joining me today. 
Um, your story is really important. Yeah, and I, I just love that you're doing the work that you're doing and you're helping people. And it's been too long since we were in touch anyway, so let's let's stick with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and one of, one of the most important parts is that um, helping teachers to understand that there are careers out there for them where they can use their skill set that they've honed. Oh, yeah. You know, if they taught a year or two years or 30 years, you know, there are other positions out there for them. And that, um, you know, teaching is just a tool that we used or a career that we've used, but the tools that we've acquired, you know, really can be transferred. So thank you so much for being You're a guest. So I'm awesome. so, so happy yeah. to have talked to you today. Really fun, and I hope um, you have a safe and happy Halloween and all that good stuff. You take care. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Cheryl Shield Show. It's always a pleasure to bring you helpful information on leading happier and healthier lives. I'd love for you to help me spread the word about my brand new show, and I'd also love for you to pop over to the iTunes store and leave a rating if you like what you heard. Thanks again, and I hope you join me again in this space real soon.